Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. COVID cases are plunging, but there's confusion all over the map. The lead starts right now. Mask on, mask off. After the CDC sets our faces free, so many confused Americans and their leaders wondering what to do with this guidance. And the most talked about woman in politics right now, Congresswoman Liz Cheney will join me live. The stark warning she is issuing to the nation about what she fears will come next. Plus, ransom pain. Colonial Pipeline gives the hackers what they wanted to get gas flowing again. Are other criminals watching and learning? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we're going to start with the health lead today in a Pandora's box of confusion brought on by the CDC's sudden yet liberating announcement that fully vaccinated Americans do not need to wear masks inside or outside. While many states took the recommendation at face value and quickly lifted mask mandates, many others did not, saying they will review the new CDC guidance. The D.C. mayor among them, keeping mask rules in place, even though starting today, federal employees, including those in Washington, D.C., do not need a mask while at work if fully vaccinated. Despite the CDC guidance, airlines and Amtrak are still requiring masks. So are many major retailers, including Walmart, Target, Kroger, Home Depot, Starbucks. The list goes on and on. CNN's Nick Watt reports on this reluctance to change despite what the CDC is advising. The percentage of COVID-19 tests coming back positive has never been lower than it's been these past few days, ever. That's big. So is this. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Too soon? This change was really abrupt. The CDC went from zero to 100 overnight. Let's break it down. Just the fully vaccinated, so just over one-third of the population, and its guidance, actual laws and mandates. These decisions are going to have to be made at the local level. Take Hawaii for now. My mask mandate continues to be in force. Um, everyone must uh, wear their masks uh, indoors. Minnesota's mask mandate, already no more. If you're going into a business where folks are unmasked, you know that they're vaccinated. It's a safe thing to do. But how do you know they're vaccinated. This really is the honor system, so I, I'm still going to wear a mask if I'm in a public indoor place. Kroger, Home Depot, Starbucks, all still insisting staff and customers continue to mask up. Some school districts 
already dropped mandates. Zero. No one wears masks. I haven't seen one mask. It's pretty sweet, pretty dope. We got rid of it. Chad is now eligible for a vaccine, but remember, younger kids still are not. High school kids, adolescents certainly will be able to be vaccinated by the time we get to the fall year. But I think it's going to take to the end of the calendar year to get elementary school kids vaccinated. The CDC, we're told, struggling to convince vaccine-hesitant Republicans. It's kind of a mess to figure out with this particular audience what resonates with them, said one source, because they see vaccines as taking away their freedom. Does stuff like this actually help? Fans that come out tomorrow, and if they're either tested or uh, get the vaccination, they'll be able to take two laps around the Talladega Super Speedway, the world's biggest, baddest, and fastest track. Now, Jake, as you mentioned, this CDC update on the masks caught a lot of people by surprise, including the White House. They say they're going to need a few more days to update the guidelines for other federal properties here in Los Angeles. They are keeping the indoor mask rules for now while they take a look at these CDC guidelines and they tell us to sometime soon expect sensible adjustments. Jake. All right, let's bring in Hawaii Governor David Ige. He's among the state leaders holding off on lifting mask rules, even for vaccinated people. Governor, thanks for joining us. What's your reasoning for wanting to keep your mask mandate in place, even for fully vaccinated Hawaiians for now? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Jake. You know, the the reality is uh, here in the islands that the majority of our residents are not vaccinated. Uh, you know, we are doing very well with vaccinations, but um, as we speak, um, just under 60% of our community is still not fully vaccinated. You know, and we do want to, um, we do know that uh, the best um, most effective mask mandate is when everyone is uh, wearing a mask. Uh, and because we can't identify those who are vaccinated from those who are not, um, I just felt that it was appropriate that we continue the mask mandate at this time. We'll be evaluating uh, the news from the CDC and making adjustments that make sense. But you understand, Governor, I'm vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. If I'm in a room full of other fully vaccinated people, the CDC says we, we do not need to wear masks. So I guess the first question I have for you is whatever happened to following the science? Well, we are following the science and the science also says, uh, you know, at this point in time, that the best policy, if you're unknown, whether people are vaccinated or not, uh, that people should wear masks. So, you know, Jake, I do think that uh, that's the challenge, right? We have uh, those in our communities who are vaccinated and those who aren't. And clearly, uh, we celebrate the science because they say for those who are fully vaccinated two weeks after the second dose for two dose vaccines, uh, that they are able to interact and their uh, risk of uh, capturing the, the virus is significantly lower. And that's great news. You know, it does reaffirm that there is a light at the end of the tunnel when we get people fully vaccinated. But aren't you disincentivizing getting a vaccine? Aren't you not, you, you, the people who are vaccinated uh, do not benefit from the fact that, they are bene- uh, that they're vaccinated, other than the fact that they have a much higher likelihood of surviving this pandemic. But they, you're taking away the reward, or at least not allowing people to have the reward uh, that they 
deserve for getting vaccinated? Well, certainly there is a reward. I mean, you know, I, uh, I'm vaccinated and for the first time in almost a year, uh, uh, we felt comfortable uh, going out and, and getting dinner. Um, and, and clearly, I think that there are personal benefits that get derived. But, you know, from a public policy perspective, you know, the policy, you know, we did learn, uh, especially when it comes to the mass mandate, that simpler is better. Uh, and having all kinds of um, uh, carve outs and um, and um, and other kinds of uh, situations where someone doesn't uh, have to wear a mask really makes it impossible to enforce any kind of mass mandate. You know, we do know, and as, as you're aware, uh, the vaccines were just recently approved for children uh, 12 to 15. You know, we would want to be able to make progress. We are scheduling uh, vaccination opportunities uh, for our teenagers all across the state. We want to continue the effort uh, and the progress that we've made with vaccinations. Mm -hmm. And clearly, when we can get to uh, the overwhelming majority, 70 or 80 percent in our community who are fully vaccinated, uh, then it would be appropriate to uh, make further adjustments uh, to the mask mandate, as well as other restrictions. Tourism is huge for your state. Are you worried that by keeping your mask mandate, you are keeping people away? You know, we um, implemented the most extensive safe travels program in the country, Jake. You know, we uh, have a mandatory 10-day quarantine for all Trans-Pacific arrivals here in the state. Um, We require or have a um, program to allow pre-travel testing, so those who uh, can take the PCR test 72 hours prior to departure, uh, can arrive in Hawaii and not be subject to quarantine. Uh, you know, we um, are seeing a renewed uh, travel to the, the state. We're actually at about uh, 70% of the pre-pandemic travel levels uh, to the state of Hawaii. So people understand that it's safe and healthy here in the islands. Uh, And, uh, you know, we continue to implement the pre-travel testing program. We will be incorporating uh, vaccination for uh, for those who are vaccinated. Uh, When we can get to the point of verifying uh, those who have been vaccinated in other states. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there is a system that allows people to verify, which is I'm sure you have in your wallet, as I have in my wallet, the card that shows that I have been vaccinated and I would be happy to go to a resort in Hawaii, show them that, and then not have to wear a mask uh, and enjoy the benefits of being vaccinated. Hawaii uh, Governor David Ige, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Aloha. Aloha. A new survey says hundreds of public health experts expected mask wearing in public for another year. What Dr. Gupta thinks of that next, and a date which will live in infamy, the January 6th MAGA terrorist attack, now getting the 9-11 treatment. Details of the commission being formed to investigate the insurrection. Stay with us. We're back with our health lead now. Confusion, concern, and understandably caution over the CDC's new guidance that fully vaccinated Americans can ditch their masks inside and outside. Given the risk and more than a year of loss, some states, retailers, even many Americans are just 
not ready to go unmasked. Why so important to wear that mask? Uh, you know, it feels right for the time being. Yes. Lose a parent to COVID. Right. So, you know, I had a personal loss there. Why are you still wearing the mask? I want to stay safe. I want to stay safe and keep all the, all the other ones around me safe. Let's bring in CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, clearly I'd rather have Americans being too cautious than too uh, reckless. Uh, but moments ago, we heard from the governor of Hawaii who says he's still reviewing the new mask guidance. He worries he can't enforce rules for those not vaccinated. It's a tough call uh, for a lot of leaders. It's absolutely a tough call. And you're seeing all sorts of different responses to that. I watched the interview that you just did with the the governor of Hawaii. On the other hand, you know that the governor of of Nevada has basically said, we're going to follow CDC guidelines no matter what, which now means that in casinos, large indoor gathering places, uh, people can come in without masks on and not have to show any proof of vaccination in many of those places. So you have a wide variety of sort of responses to this. And a lot of it's now left on these, these local you know, businesses or communities to, to basically figure out how to implement this. It's, it, I think it's going to be really challenging and frankly tense at times because if, if, you're, if, you, if you're not asking about people's vaccination status and other people are feeling uncomfortable, I, I worry about the, the tense atmosphere that may cause in some of these places. Yeah, I mean, it does seem curious. I'm fully vaccinated, so I'm not worried about myself, but my Son is not vaccinated because he's 11. He hasn't, you know, that age hasn't been approved. And if we're relying on the honor system for a lot of people who are not vaccinated, I mean, that requires that they have honor. Right. And and like, what is at stake here? To your point, Jake, you are pretty well protected. People who are not vaccinated like your son are going to be more at risk, but also unvaccinated people subsequently spreading it to other unvaccinated people, this virus. It just could prolong this pandemic. We're obviously going to keep an eye on the numbers here, the number of cases, and they have been coming down very steadily along with hospitalizations and deaths. But the question now is, again, people who are vaccinated, I think, should feel very comfortable with that level of protection. But are we now prolonging this pandemic by allowing the virus to essentially continue to spread now among a significant population of the country? Remember, only about a third of the country is fully vaccinated. Someone said it to me like this yesterday. The deputy director of the vaccine uh, research center at the NIH said, we are going to turn into an America not of vaccinated and unvaccinated. We're going to turn into an America of vaccinated and infected because you're, you're, you're making it more likely that the unvaccinated people will actually become infected because of the, the, the lower rate of masks. Do you think that the governor of Nevada, by not requiring uh, vaccinated people to prove that they're vaccinated before they're allowed to go into a casino, or the governor of Hawaii, by uh, not lifting the mask mandate, not r- providing an incentive for vaccinated people, for people to get vaccinated. Oh, I got vaccinated. I can go to this resort in Hawaii and not have to wear a mask. Do you think that there, there's, there are flaws in, in both of these approaches? Uh, in both approaches, you're not incentivizing getting vaccines. Right. I think, I think that's it. I think the, the similarity, very different sort of approaches, but the similarity is, is that they both could be a disincentive. People who would otherwise have gotten vaccinated because they don't like wearing the mask, they don't like to have these extra public health measures imposed on them, 
well, they don't have to necessarily wear the mask anymore and, and they don't have to get the vaccine. And, and, and the same thing in Hawaii, you, if you were already in that situation, why would you go ahead and still get the vaccine? So it's, it's, it's an, they say at the CDC, this wasn't done to incentivize people, but I, I would have hoped they would have thought through this idea that you're raising, Jake, that it might disincentivize people to go get the vaccine. I, I'm sure that wasn't their intended consequence, but that could very well happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that people should start now thinking about how, how they can chip in and incentivize uh, people to get vaccinated. Uh, Sanjay, you have a, an extraordinary CNN film out tomorrow called The Race for the Vaccine. It, it's remarkable when you think about it that scientists develop this kind of vaccine as quickly as they did. It, it, it really is. Look, I don't think anybody, uh, Dr. Fauci, people at the NIH, anybody really thought that within a year... Uh, that we would have a vaccine. Maybe, maybe one person, Kizzy Corbett, said that we would, and I, I can't think of anybody else who really thought it was going to happen, and it did. Um, what, the, what the film is about is really celebrating these scientific teams. One of the teams, by the way, average age under 30 out of Australia that was working on this, just incredible, incredible scientists. But they, for the last year, you know, that year, period of time, really did nothing but try and work on these vaccines. They had the weight of the world on their shoulders. I mean, leaders of countries calling into the lab saying, you've got to get this done. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a remarkable story, you know, in terms of what they had to do with everything on the line. So, you know, someone called it a moonshot of medical science, Jake. And I think, I think uh, first I thought that was hyperbole. I think it's real and you'll see why tomorrow. I, I can't wait to watch. And, and as far as I'm concerned, these doctors and scientists and researchers have not yet gotten all the praise they deserve. What they did was nothing short of a miracle. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much. And you can see the premiere of Sanjay's new CNN film, Race for the Vaccine, that's tomorrow night at 9 o'clock Eastern here on CNN. Kind of a preview of the CNN heroes. The friend who flipped. New details of the plea deal. A friend of Congressman Matt Gates struck in a sex trafficking investigation. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik is officially the number three Republican in Congress after her House colleagues voted this morning for her to replace Liz Cheney as conference chair. Stefanik unquestionably is more liberal and less reliably supportive of Trump policies than Cheney. She's definitely more liberal than Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, who ran against her. But Stefanik is willing to lie about the election. And neither Cheney nor Chip Roy are. Stefanik's nomination comes the same day a bipartisan commission was greenlit to investigate the January 6th insurrection after months of negotiations. CNN's Ryan Nobles joins us now. Ryan, tell us how this commission will operate. Well, this was a significant development, Jake, because as you mentioned, it took uh, quite a few weeks for them to come to an agreement between Republicans and Democrats. And, and the parameters are such. This is going to be a 10-person uh, commission. It will be equal number of Republicans and Democrats. They'll also have equal subpoena power. And also the scope of this commission will be reserved to the events of January 6th and the activity that led to the insurrection on that day. Now, they need to have their work all wrapped up by the end of the year. We expect them to hold hearings. Some 
of them will be public, some behind closed doors. Right now, it is both uh, the Republican ranking member of the Homeland Security uh, Committee, John Katko, and the uh, chair of that committee, Benny Thompson, that hatched this deal. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has promised she will bring it to the floor of the House as soon as next week. Jim. Oh, that's interesting, because Pelosi originally wanted there to be more Democrats than Republicans on, the, on this commission, but there, this is an equal number, five and five. Kevin McCarthy, the lead Republican in the House, he still has not approved of the deal. Uh, does that mean there's a chance that it won't happen? Well, to be clear, legislatively, they do not need Kevin McCarthy's support in order for this to happen, but it would certainly make the process a whole lot easier. And also, Jake, this isn't just about pushing something through with only Democratic support. They truly want this legislation to be bipartisan. And if Kevin McCarthy supports it, that means a lot more Republicans are going to vote for it to happen. And then uh, in addition to that, if McCarthy supports it, it will be much easier to bring over the 10 additional Republicans that would be necessary on the Senate side. But Jake, Kevin McCarthy for weeks has been complaining that he wants the scope to be much more than just the uh, activity that led up to January 6th. He wanted to include a broad range of what he calls political extremism. He even talked about the Good Friday killing of a Capitol police officer after someone rammed a car uh, uh, into a barricade outside the Capitol. McCarthy said he hasn't seen uh, the details of the legislation quite yet, so he's not ready to give it his full approval. But Pelosi is ready to move ahead and have a vote on it next week. And Ryan, there was a last minute challenge to Stefanik to win a House Republican conference chair, but she overwhelmingly won the vote of the House Republicans today. Uh, has the House Republican Party united around her? It certainly seems that way, Jake. It wasn't a close race, as you mentioned, but I do think that there are a number of headwinds uh, that lie ahead for this group. Uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy would prefer the conversation now to all be about the 2022 midterms, uh, their uh, attempts to stop the Joe Biden agenda. But there is a collection of House Republicans that represent the far right of the Republican Party that want to continue to rewrite history and make that the focal point of their conversation. Uh, there was a congressman, Louis Gombert of Texas, who just today went on the House floor to suggest that the violence and chaos on January 6th simply wasn't that bad. He uh, said it was just a group of people who made their way into a building. So this is going to be something that is in the background of the Republican Party for some time to come. It was something that Liz Cheney was pleading with Republican leaders to get rid of. And at this point, they were unwilling to do so, Jake. Well, let's not forget, most House Republicans voted to disenfranchise either Arizona or Pennsylvania. Most of them signed on to that crazy Texas lawsuit. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Congresswoman Liz Cheney, a reminder, will join me live on the lead at the top of the next hour to talk about all of this. Also in our politics lead today, indications of more trouble ahead for Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida. Federal investigators are examining whether Gates broke any laws involving federal sex trafficking or prostitution or public corruption. And whether he had sex with a minor, allegations that Congressman Matt Gates denies. But now we are learning new details about a plea deal struck by a one-time close associate of Congressman Gates, a man named Joel Greenberg. Let's bring in CNN senior legal affairs correspondent Paula Reed. Paula, you have details of the plea bargain. That's right, Jake. Greenberg, a former Florida tax collector, has struck a deal with prosecutors where he has agreed to cooperate with them fully and plead guilty to six charges, including sex trafficking of a minor. Now, his former close associate, Congressman Gates, is not mentioned anywhere in this 80-page plea agreement. Congressman Gates has not been charged with a crime. He has denied any wrongdoing. But as you noted, Jake, the congressman is under investigation for allegations of prostitution, 
sex trafficking and possibly having sex with a minor. And as part of this plea agreement, Greenberg must cooperate fully in any ongoing federal investigations. And the most important line in this 80-page plea agreement is that as part of this deal, Greenberg plans to admit in court that he introduced this child to other adult men who engaged in commercial sex acts with that minor. That, depending on who he is referring to, could cause trouble for Congressman Gates. Well, Gates says he he doesn't he has nothing to worry about. But what do legal experts say? Well, legal experts and our reporting suggest that he should be concerned. We've reported that for the past year, Greenberg has been sharing information about Congressman Gates with federal investigators, including details about how Greenberg and Gates exchange money and gifts for sex with women. Now, in this plea agreement, Greenberg, for example, admits that he spent $70,000 in 150 different transactions uh, to pay women for sex via different accounts. He labeled these transactions things like school, food, and ice cream. Look, that's a little weird, but it tracks with actually our reporting and receipts that we've seen where Gates and Greenberg paid women for sex over these kinds of electronic payment apps. All right, Paula Reed with the latest. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Growing fears in Gaza that an invasion by Israeli troops could happen at any moment were live along the Israel-Gaza border as missiles and rockets continue to fly. Stay with us. In our world lead now, in Gaza, rubble, terrified Palestinian families, and pleas for help as Eid festivities turn into nights of terror. Israel continues to pound Gaza with airstrikes. Israel says it targeted Hamas leaders who have been pummeling Israel with rockets. Those IDF strikes are reducing apartment buildings to ash. Over 120 in the small and highly populated city of Gaza City have been killed, according to the Palestinian health ministry there. Hamas continues to fire rockets indiscriminately into Israel as sirens sound all day and night, and fears grow that Israel could invade Gaza from the ground. CNN International Diplomatic Editor Nick Robertson is north of Gaza in Ashdod. Uh, Nick, what are you seeing there? What's happening? Yeah, Jake, in the last few minutes, we uh, were actually able to see a number of Israeli fighter aircraft flying through the sky. It was quite noisy. They were on their way to Gaza. Um, so you get an idea of, of, of the sort of noise and sound of fury on the way, to, the, on the, on the way to, to Gaza that the people there are experiencing. But we've been with troops along, Israeli troops along the border in Gaza today. And all afternoon, and particularly into the evening, the Iron Dome Israeli defensive missile system has been in action. If it wasn't there, I can tell you those troops at that location probably would have been hit multiple times they were targeted. Over Gaza, the fury of war frozen. Hamas rockets tear towards Israel's Iron Dome, defensive tentacles. On the ground, fear. Families flee, sheltering in UN-designated safe havens, schools. They are targeting our homes. We stayed together at home with a group of children. Suddenly, we heard artillery hitting us from every side. Wherever we looked, it was hitting. We and our children are completely exhausted. The toll. Deaths and destruction climbing on both sides. At Gaza's border, tanks, troops, armored personnel carriers on standby. Iron Dome intercepts overhead, a background beat of war. And that's the siren here, and that means we are being, this location is being targeted, so we are going to move swiftly for cover.
Not enough troops here for a ground incursion, but getting their job done, according to Israel's prime minister. I said that we would strike Hamas and the other terrorist organizations very hard, and we are doing just that. In the last 24 hours, we have attacked underground targets. Hamas thought it could hide there, but it cannot hide there. Away from Gaza at Friday prayers in the venerated Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem, tensions mounting, worshippers angry over Palestinian suffering, clashing with Israeli police. Across the West Bank, confrontations continuing throughout the day. Indirectly, Hamas managing to turn Gaza's suffering to their advantage. If it comes to responding to your aggression and claiming victory for our people and our sanctities, there are no red lines, sacred rules of engagement, or complicated calculations. What's lacking here is diplomacy. No off-ramp in sight. The suffering spurring increasing international calls for an end to the violence, but nothing to show for it yet. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu this afternoon indicating that he reads the, the pressure that's on him as something that he can withstand. He said he thanked President Biden, he thanked the British, thanked the French, thanked the Germans, thanked the Austrians as well. All he said for standing by Israel and saying that Israel has a, a right to respond to this indiscriminate fire coming from Gaza onto Israeli citizens uh, in, in many cities around here. So uh, the Prime Minister does feel as if he has the space left to let this and make this war go longer. Jake? All right, Nick, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Stay safe. Joining us now, founder and president of the Eurasia Group, which aims to help investors and businesses understand the impact of foreign policy on global markets, Ian Bremmer. Uh, Ian, thanks for joining us. We just saw our Nick Robertson a report from the front lines of the conflict. We're seeing Israeli troops edging closer to Gaza. Uh, a ground invasion of any sort would likely be the catalyst to all-out war. Your group says that there's a 40% probability of, quote, limited war. Explain. Yeah, in other words, we don't think that ground forces are going in, in part because uh, there is growing international attention and pressure on the Israelis not to take that step, in part because it would hurt the Israeli economy significantly, not only in addition to the additional casualties that it would bring on both sides. They're already doing a lot, Israel, to significantly degrade Hamas's capabilities push them back. Most military analysts are saying at least a year and a half or two with what they've already done. And furthermore, the domestic incentive that Prime Minister Netanyahu has had towards escalation has already succeeded. Uh, they were within days, maybe even hours um, of a new opposition government coming into place. Netanyahu would have been gone. The best opportunity to remove Netanyahu in 10 years. That's now off the table because there is no longer a possibility of the leader of that coalition coming together with the Arab-Israeli uh, party. And that means that Netanyahu gets to either be part of a new government, probably won't come together, or there'll be a fifth election. In other words, he lives to fight another day. That was a big piece of this. The IDF just announced that Syria fired three rockets toward Israel. Syria has its own longstanding issue uh, and dispute with Israel over the Golan Heights. Um, are, are you concerned that this could escalate beyond Gaza? 
Well, it certainly has the potential to. And, you know, remember the Golan, you know, not only uh, annexed by Israel, but recognized that annexation by the United States under the Trump administration, Biden not turning it back. The thing is, even if there was more support, I mean, one interesting thing to see is that there, there doesn't appear to be far greater Hamas military capabilities today than there was during the last war. Part of the reason for that is because Hamas doesn't get a lot of international support. It's basically Iran. Iran has had major economic problems of its own over the last few years. And the war that we saw break out between Armenia and Azerbaijan in the past months completely changed because the Turkish government, with a lot of money and military support, gave the advanced military capabilities, drones and the rest, to the Azeris, completely changed the nature of the fight with the Armenians. That's not happened between Hamas uh, and Israel over the course of the last week. And that makes it seem less likely that this war would expand significantly. Also keep in mind that Israel's in the best geopolitical position they've been in decades, not just in terms of the US supporting them still strongly, but also the diplomatic moves and breakthroughs that they've had with many countries in the region. Yesterday, the official IDF, Israeli Defense Forces Twitter account, tweeted incorrectly, quote, IDF air and ground troops are currently attacking in the Gaza Strip. Uh, about an hour later, it was walked back. An army spokesman told CNN, quote, there are currently no IDF ground troops inside the Gaza Strip. But the original incorrect tweet is still up. Uh, wh what's your reaction to all of that? Uh, best reporting I've seen is disinformation. Uh, you do that and you know, Hamas, you have this system of tunnels uh, that Hamas uses uh, at, towards the border um, that is called the Hamas Metro. And when the IDF suddenly is engaging or says they're engaging um, in, uh, in ground strikes, uh, Hamas then sort of floods the zone, at which point the IDF engages in bombing strikes and they believe killed a hell of a lot of them. Uh, that appears to be intentional disinformation and a feint to make them more vulnerable. Eurasia Group President Ian Bremmer, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. The hacked sure. pipeline pays a ransom. It got the gas flowing, but did it set a dangerous precedent? That's next. Plus, Congresswoman Liz Cheney warning that Donald Trump and Trumpism are a threat to this nation that we have not seen the likes of before. She'll join us live in the next hour. Stay with us. In our money lead today, Colonial Pipeline did, in fact, pay the multi-million dollar ransom demanded by cyber criminals, sources tell CNN. The head of U.S. Cyber Command saying the attack is part of a growing trend of companies and even government agencies being held hostage by malicious cyber terrorists. The hackers were seeking $5 million from Colonial Pipeline, though the exact amount they received is not yet known. The president of CrowdStrike and former FBI Executive Assistant Director Sean Henry joins us now. Sean, thanks for joining us. You work for the FBI's Criminal Cyber Response and Services Branch. What do you think the implications will be of Colonial Pipeline paying the ransom? Do you think it will incite more cyber attacks? Because ultimately the hackers got what they wanted. Well, that's certainly the, the implication, and that's the reason the, the U.S. government uh, discourages people from making these types of payments. You don't want to incentivize them to continue. Unfortunately, with the level of sophistication in, in these types of attacks, the encryption protocols, these companies are facing an existential threat. And if they don't pay, they don't have the capability to reconstitute in their environment. They may be out of business. 
Um, what we've got to see is the government uh, taking additional action to try and disrupt these organized groups before they can launch their malware, as well as the companies taking a more proactive approach on their networks to prevent these attacks from happening in the first place, Jake. We've been talking to experts all week about this, and, and one of the things we're told is that the U.S. government is not on the case enough, and that if these hackers in particular were from Russia, the Russian government is not going after them, is not punishing them, and they have to be held responsible as well. I think that's absolutely the case. You know, people have seen Colonial uh, as a major issue because there have been people waiting in line for gas for 40 or 50 minutes or more. But these types of attacks have been going on for years. Most recently, the last couple of years, very um, high rate of, of targeting. Um, but the government's role is in disruption and deterrence. And they cannot arrest people in foreign countries without the cooperation and the collaboration with the foreign host government. We've got to see more of that. When I was in the FBI, we had extensive uh, international cooperation with countries around the world. However, if you find countries that are unwilling or unable to intervene in their nation to apprehend the individuals that are launching these attacks, then the U.S. government, US government needs to ramp up their uh, protocols through financial sanctions, diplomatic actions, et cetera, Jake. What lessons should companies be taking from this attack on Colonial Pipeline? Uh, are there things they should be doing to better protect themselves? Absolutely. Uh, I think the first lesson is the U.S. government, while their efforts are are in a good good position, they are not capable to scale and they don't have the ability to protect the entire Internet. Therefore, the responsibility for protecting your environment rests with yourself. Companies need to be proactive. They need to deploy the right technology that allows them to have visibility into what's happening. If they have the right processes and policies and they are employing good cyber hygiene, they can prevent these attacks. Unfortunately, too many companies are not uh, keeping their systems patched. They're using legacy hardware and software and they're falling behind. Um, you've got to protect your own home. You've got to protect your own environment. And if you want to ensure that you remain resilient, you've got to invest in your security because these attacks will continue indefinitely because the return on investment for the adversaries is substantial. We've estimated these organized crime groups have made billions of dollars. Yeah. John Henry from CrowdStrike, thanks so much. Good to see you again. In just a few minutes, I'm going to sit down with Congresswoman Liz Cheney, her biggest fears if Trump continues his stranglehold on her party. Stay with us. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 